Good morning, church. And it's great to be here. Um, I want you to know <clears throat> I was part of the starting of this church um, because John and I had coffee together about 20 years ago. We became friends, and on regular occasions, we would have coffee. And he started sharing with us one night. Him and Mandri came and had supper with us and asked me, so what does it mean to start a church? The only thing I'm really ticked off about is like, like he seems to be doing better than what we are. So what we've done this morning, we've sent him there, and it better be good on that side. So, you know, so. I think there is a smile on God's face this morning. 160 churches across the city saying, one God, one city, one church. Um, I was sharing with um, the group that met with us and, um, and Powell this morning, just my spiritual journey. It's kind of a bit messed up because I came from a church that, uh, from a house that didn't really go to church. And um, one night felt the inclination to go to a, a Pentecostal church and just walked in there and, and, and the Spirit of God really spoke to me. I can't even remember what the pastor said. A very humbling thing for pastors, that the Holy Spirit would work and people forget your sermon, you know. And so, so there I was, sitting in the back of the church, and I felt such an overwhelming compulsion to go forward that I held onto the pew. Um, really, this is, I mean, I think God was smiling in heaven because I was holding on because I didn't want to go forward. I didn't want to look bad. And the thing is, I didn't even have any of my friends with me, so I don't know what my issue was. And so the next morning, in my bed, God was still there, the way God does it. And um, he spoke to me, I gave my life to Christ, and then I went from church, to, I thought to myself, well, if, if, um, if I'm going to be a Christian, and God has done this amazing thing in my life, then I need to go and find a church, because that's what Christians do, kind of like, at least that clicked. And so I went from church to church to church in our town, seriously, and settled in a little Pentecostal church, who eventually, kind of eventually closed down, and then I went from church to church to church to church to church again, ended up in a Baptist church. And um, so we share roots, because this church kind of has roots back to the Baptist, Baptist church. But then I had to find a wife. <laughs> and the coolest women were in the Anglican church. <laughs> so when I say I'm all seriously messed up, I think I've gone one too far here. I found my wife in the Anglican church. And my dad was a bit perturbed because there back then, he thought that the Anglican church was like this communist organization. And, <laughs> and I just said to him, well, I don't understand it. If the communists have the greatest woman, so, so that's us. So here I am this morning. My Baptist brothers warned me about you guys. And, um, well, here we are. Checking you guys out. I might stay. I might. <laughs> so, um, this guy, name is Jimmy Elliott. I don't know who of you have read his story. But as a young man, he took his wife and his children. Well, his wife and his one child, and they went and served God in the, in, a, in the most remote place. There was a burden on their hearts. God had put something in their hearts to reach the Alka Indians. Um, the Alka Indians were known as the most vicious tribe. No one had ever penetrated there. And them and four other couples gave up their lives 
and they relocated from the United States with this one thought in mind. God wants us to reach that group of people for Christ. I'm always amazed by God's grace. How God would even reach a tribe like that, known to just slaughter people. So they spent years praying. He went from university campus to university campus in the United States and challenged people. I'll share some of his sayings with you now. And eventually they ended up, they, they did everything they could. And one fateful morning, the five of them got in Nate Sain's little airplane and they flew out. The last thing Nate Sain said to his wife, walked out and said to all the ladies who were there, ladies, today's the day. So one by one, he flew the missionaries over to this little, little um, sandbank next to, close to where the Alka Indians were. Nate said, landed his plane. And the people heard nothing. They tried to call him on the radio. They heard nothing. Tried to call him again. They heard absolutely nothing. Eventually, somebody went and had looked. The Alka Indians slaughtered this five of them. All they found was a, a plane that had been destroyed and the five bodies of people who had made this decision to follow Christ no matter what the cost. Now here's the thing. Two years later, Jim Elliott's wife takes her little baby, Nate Saint's wife, takes her two children and, and Nate Saint's sister the three women walk into the Alka Indian village. And they start leading the Alka Indians to Christ. The very guy who killed Nate Saint becomes the godfather of Nate Saint's grandchild. Holy devoted follower of Christ. These guys are barbarians, man. I mean, they're crazy. Jimmy Ellis had this to say. When the time comes to die, make sure that all you have to do is to die. At the age of 29, he died. And his wife wrote a book called Through the Gates of Splendor. Now, some this morning, I want to challenge you guys um, to give up your mediocre lives and to embrace the way of the barbarian. I want to challenge you not to be ordinary. I want to challenge you to go to the next level. I mean, it's just great to see the Week of Bounty stuff up here. The thing about the Week of Bounty is we give of our access to God. But what if God called you to the Alpha Indians? Well, we have a village. We have a city that needs barbarians. So my scripture verse is simply this one this morning. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now we need to unpack this passage a little bit to really understand what God is saying here. What was the Apostle Paul writing? If you unpack that little Greek verse there, a little Greek word that says, we are a masterpiece, what it's actually saying is, God has made you amazingly unique. Some of you are struggling with that. You struggle with the fact that you're fat. 
had to counsel somebody this last week who was sobbing in my presence said, I cannot do anything to lose weight. Some of you are struggling with the fact that you think people don't like you. Some of you look in the mirror and you wonder, you wonder why you cannot be like someone else. Me, I wonder why I can't be like John. You are so much more than that. This, you are God's masterpiece. You, are, you have the fingerprint of God on your life. Psalm 139. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The psalmist writes. Nine months. God takes... No, okay, that's not a lot of time for God. Because like he's doesn't do the time thing like we do, but, but nine months God takes to take, to take sinew to muscle, muscle to muscle, ligament to ligament, put you all together, and you look in the mirror and you say it's not good enough. You are God's masterpiece. doesn't stop there. If you go and take a little bit of time and unpack that Greek word a little bit more, it says this, God has given you a unique personality. I'm a bit of an introvert. I really, I just hate being in the limelight. When I'm in, the, when I'm in, a, in, a, in a group, with a group of other pastors, secret, guys don't tell, you know, if, could you keep a secret? I try and pass the humor ball to someone else so that they take all the attention. I sit back and I enjoy the crowd, just in the shadows there. That's the way I function. For many years, I struggled with that. But it took God nine years to make me an introvert. I'm strong in other areas. I don't know what you think of yourself this morning, but you are God's masterpiece. You are so much more than the person you see in the mirror. You are so much more than what other people say you are. You are so much more than what the scale says when you stand on it and sat on a Sunday morning. Okay, jokes. Um, <laughs> God made you unique. But it doesn't stop there. It goes a little bit further. He says, He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that He planned for us long ago. Now, what I am good at is being strategic. It's the way God wired me. Where do we want to be? How do we get there? What are the steps in between? Um, through the years, that's how God has used me. Um, that's how my mind functioned, you know, like, why is this little step not here? That's how I function. Now, I think when God made me in His image, as the Bible says, God gave me a little bit of what He is in His bigness or in His greatness. Because God knows where it's all going to end. Like one day, we're going to all stand before Him, we're going to worship, okay? The charismatics are going to be in front, Okay, showing us how to do it. Um, the Pentecost will just be right behind them and the Baptist in the left corner somewhere, but we're all going to be there, every nation, tribe, and tongue. It is absolutely amazing when you think about it, how God has put it all together. He knows what He's doing. In this time in human history, God has taken you, taken nine months to make you. For those of you a little bit older, He's taken all these years to shape you as a person so that you can do the good things which He has prepared for you in advance to do. 
And I think of it like this, that God paints the whole of human history. He's like this master painter. And he's, he's putting all the colors into place. He's putting the shapes into place. Um, I'm not this big artist, so I can just imagine how it all comes together. And God has put you in a certain place in human history. And he's taken time to make you. He's taken time to shape you now. And now is the time in this city for you to be mobilized and to become a barbarian with the experience, the gifts, and the abilities that God has given you. Some of you need a kick somewhere. Now, God does this in three ways. Um, God creates nations for his assignments. Um, think about it. The, out of the nation of Israel, God raised up the Messiah. Some people think that God only raised up the Messiah for the Jewish people, but we know that that's not true. We are here today because God raised up the nation through Abraham, and God said to Abraham, through you all the nations will be blessed. And so we are, we're being blessed today. We can worship in freedom. Okay, so the nation, God raised up the Babylonians to get the Israelites back on track. You can read it in the book of Habakkuk. Where God says to, um, through, through the prophet Habakkuk, the Babylonians are coming. To the point where Habakkuk actually says, you know, though the fig tree does not blossom, though there be no olives in the field, God, whatever happens to you, yet will I praise you. So God raises up nations. I think, I really believe, that in spite of the troubles that our nation is going through, that God has a purpose for us. God wants us to shine like stars in the universe. There are mosques going up everywhere. Crazy stuff is happening politically in our country. That is the backlash from Satan. He knows his days are numbered. And I believe that God has a place for South Africa on the world scene. So stop being a pessimist. Um, so for such a time as this, South Africa proudly South African, right? Um, God plants churches for his assignments. I mean, I get excited about this. Some of the things that Eastside is thinking about now is restarting churches. Um, within our denomination, there are buildings standing empty, and God has put it on our leadership's heart, and God is really revving my case. After 18 years after Eastside started, we are ready now to help other churches prevail. And God has called us to do that sacrificially. And we're going to do that. This church. John and I every now and again have coffee. We high five for what God is doing in our churches. You've just started a television program, right? For those of you who don't know, that's the truth. Okay, so let me tell you as an outsider, that's what you're doing, okay? Um, but so um, Hatfield Christian Church, a mega church, have incubated churches, big churches in the city. You're one of them. God raises up. God raises up churches for such a time as this. Choose life is in the city. You are here for a reason. And, and some of you need to be mobilized so that this church can be what God wants it to be. God raises up barbarians for his assignment. How will the Oka Indians ever have known? 
the, three, the five women who went back to you, and I watched last night late as I just went over my notes briefly, I found a YouTube little snapshot. 40 years later, the widows of these five men sit down and retell the story, and the one lady said it's 40 years later, and she, she, she started crying and said, it just still hurts so much. But all five of them had this one thought in mind. The Oka Indians need to know about Jesus. We're going to make it happen. The way of the barbarians. The way of the barbarians. So, as the question. What am I supposed to do with my life? I think we make this more complicated than what it needs to be. Seriously. I mean, go, go into exclusive books, get on the internet and go, you know, my life purpose. We have like people making this amount of money just because people like you are buying their books thinking, I know there is a purpose to my life. I know there is something that I must do with my life. I know that. I know that, and people go reading one book after the other, after the other, saying, this is a really inspiring book, but so what? Christians come to church every Sunday, they walk out the door and they say, wow, that was challenging. Gee, the pastor kind of took out the whip this morning, you know, like, oh, it hurts a bit, you know. I must think about this. I think it's too complicated. There are people who who lose years of their lives because they keep on thinking, I'm waiting for a prophecy. I'm waiting for a word. I'm waiting for a confirmation. Apostle Paul writes, he says, whatever your hands find to do, just do it. Do the next thing. Do the next thing. And so I want to challenge you this morning. Choose life. Member of Choose Life, person sitting in the pew here, barbarian. I want to ch challenge you this morning to do the thing that you just see in front of you and do it. And in the process, of course there will be prophecies. Of course God will speak in a special way. Of course God will. For 18 years at Eastside, we've done the next thing. There were times when I said to God, God, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to do now. So we did the next thing. And now revelation has come about the next big step that God wants us to take. Do the next thing. So how do I do that? Well, Jim Elliott had this to say. Whatever you are, wherever you are, be all there. Okay, well, the thing with these missionaries is they always have these nice ways of saying things, don't they? Well, it simply means this. Are you a mother this morning? And, and you, think, you think, wow, every day I sat with a mother yesterday morning. She said, my little one is so active. You know, like when my husband comes home, I just, just beg him, just take this kid for 30 minutes. I need some space. I just need to know that I can still think. I wonder what Jim Elliott's mother felt. whole tribe came to know Christ because she raised him in the way of the Lord. Mothers, 
Time to be a barbarian mother. So around the lunch table today, sit down, look your kid in the eye and say, from today on, I'm a barbarian. You watch it. No, 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 not quite like that. No. <laughs> Kids all crying because of me, you know. If, if you're a businessman, yeah, this morning, and I know there are some of you, God has given you influence. The city needs you. Can you be a barbarian? Can you feel the call of God in your life to work the economy of the city, of this, of this country? Somebody said to me this last week, business closing down, business just dried up. Why? We've got a dead economy. We can find a thousand excuses for that, or we can take off our shirt as Christians and we can say, I know I'm called. I know I'm called. I'm going to be all there where God has placed me. All of me. Every part of me. I'm not going to compartmentalize. Are you wealthy? There are some radical parties in the country that's making waves. The only reason is people don't have food to eat. It's not because of great leadership. In fact, I think it's stupid leadership. Well, the wealthy people, God has given you wealth for a reason. There's smart people in very poor areas, smart as what you are, and think more highly of yourself than you ought. Will you see what you have as a trust from the Lord? It's a week of bounty, wonderful. So what does God want you to bless people with? Wherever you are, be all there. So here's a question I have for you. Have you committed your life to God's purpose? The thing with us Christians is we can rationalize things so beautifully. We can so easily sit here and go, you know what, this is a wonderful message for my, for my brother. The, the guy in front of me, I see some of, the, some of you are tapping the guy in front of you and you're going like, you know, just, I'm praying that Jesus would just reveal to you that this is a word from God for you. If you don't fully understand the exact purpose of God for your life, it means you are where God wants you to be, do the next thing. When the Israelites move through the desert, the cloud moves. God wants you to move, He will reveal it to you. But wherever you are, be all there as a barbarian, as a Christ follower, not as a mediocre Christ follower. Completely there. Now, it will cost you. Of course it will. Jesus said, unless somebody takes up their cross and follow me, they are not worthy of me. When Debbie and I got married, we did, we did I don't know why my father-in-law allowed us to do this. I asked him to marry her. And he said, okay, well, fine. I was, in, I was working for Telcom at the time in engineering. And, and he said, well, that's wonderful. We've been waiting for all of this. And so I felt affirmed. And then I thought, well, let me give him the next step now. Um, Mr. Burnham's, that's not that simple. And I, looking back now, I think, <laughs> you were, I don't know what he thought. And, and I said, next year I'm going to Bible college. And at the time, he didn't know the Lord. He looked at me and he said, so... How are you going to look after my daughter? And I said, well, that's just the thing. <laughs> She's going to be looking after me. 
And I'll never forget the morning we drove out of Utnag, leaving our family behind, not even knowing if we'll be, afford to visit, be able to afford to visit them once a year. My sick dad behind, we were very close. And Debbie was crying as we drove out of Utnag. We drove to Johannesburg to study. We didn't even know where we were going to stay. We had God's call in our lives. And we've paid the price. And we've seen God do some amazing things. So if you're a businessman here this morning and God is saying to you, you need to give a chunk of money away. See, I'm not in my church. So I'm not asking you to give to me. Seriously. Give it away. Don't, don't do the comfortable thing. The way of the barbarian is taking your wife and your child and going to the Alka Indians, landing in a place where you might very well get killed. It is the way of the barbarians. Now, if I left it there, all of you would leave here going, oh, we're a little bit challenging. But this is what Jesus had to say. I give you the keys of the kingdom. What does that mean? Well, it means he's given you the keys of the kingdom. And when we speak about one city, we, 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 as Christians, I mean, this, this hundred, the 160 churches this, this, uh, in this month, we're we, we saying we are taking back what Satan thinks belongs to him. There where the drug lords are and the police is too scared to go into. I give you the keys of the kingdom. There where little children don't have food to eat, God is saying to you, businessman, I have given you the keys of the kingdom. You mother, you who are desperate and you're worried about your children, God says to you, I have given you the keys of the kingdom. Be all there. Choose life as a church. God has placed you in the city. God has given you the keys of the kingdom. My challenge to you is be all yeah. And who knows? I dream about a city where there's no crime. When we moved onto the ground where our church was, the piece of ground that we moved onto was cursed. There were squatters, squatters on the ground. There was so much human excrement that you couldn't walk, you couldn't walk there because you might step into something. One guy stepped into that, got in his car, drove off to the car dealer and bought another car because he couldn't handle the thought of getting back into that car. It was that bad. Women got raped there. People got killed there. The community, when we bought the ground from the council, wanted to sue us. I mean, that was not a good start. Wanted to meet with the community. Hi, we, we're going to build a church. Yes, we're going to sue you. That was the opening line. Why? Because the piece of ground was a cursed piece of ground. One day, the elders and the leaders of the church went. We took symbolic. It was like way out there for Baptists what we did. We took some olive oil. And we went to four corners on the ground. And um, as we were about to pour oil and anoint the ground for God's purpose, a guy from the from the from the one security village walked in there and he burst into tears and he was just angry. He wanted to kill someone. Because the previous night they broke into his place and, and violated his privacy and it had happened too many times. And I said to him, oh, hang on now, hang on now, hang on, slow down. He wanted to go down to the squatters who were still on the ground. I said, slow down, buddy, slow down. 
I said, let's just pray. So we laid hands on him, and then we went to different places on the ground, and we prayed, and we anointed the ground. We prayed, we prayed, we prayed. We went to the middle of the ground. We linked hands, and we said, God, this is your ground. This is your place. We're going to be all here. I had a special relationship with the police at that time. Crime in the next year dropped by 87% on the whole green belt. I was told by somebody who is a specialist in ground conditions that plants will not grow where we're building a church. We have the most luscious piece of ground there. I think it's because God brings beauty, wonder, and amazement. And God wants to do it in the city, not just on one piece of ground. Will you be a barbarian? Let me pray for you. Lord, <clears throat> thank you for touching my life in 1976, for prompting me to go to church for no reason. That's my story. Every seat that is filled in this building has a story. And then, Lord, you raised up this church in this city. Will you help them to be barbarians? Help us to move beyond the mediocre. Let us become barbarians, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.